I don't want to be one of those pigs where I'm just mowing down Big Macs to try to win a contest. The next thing you know, I'm turned off of Big Macs. It's the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Hey, welcome to episode 47, the Andre Kirilenko edition of the podcast. What can I say about that Butron? Sure. He played 13 NBA seasons and it was a very, very good big man. No pun intended. But I want to talk about one of the more unique marriages and agreements ever with his wife. She gave him permission once a year to cheat on her. That's right. She said Andre could stray once a year without repercussions. What a wild agreement. Very fascinating. It's not clear if he ever took her up on that offer, but I just feel like revisiting that story is of the utmost importance. In a completely unrelated note, but discussing a show that certainly has had its fair share of scandal and cheating and the sex, I have some exciting news. Myself and previous guest and former Going For Broke podcast host Adam Skelly and I are starting a new YouTube podcast called Bros Ceremony, where we discuss the latest Bachelorette episode, Bro Ceremony, instead of Rose Ceremony, get it? (laughs) (sighs) I'll see myself out. That will launch very soon, so keep your eyes peeled for that. That expression has always grossed me out, by the way. Eyes peeled? Yikes. My next guest is a casual Bachelorette fan, so I'll certainly eviscerate him, good word, about not being a hardcore watcher of the program. So without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, now welcome on Carlo Koliakovo. He played 13 seasons in the NHL for five different teams, and now is part of the duo with Michael Landsberg for the aptly named First up with Landsberg and Koliakovo in the morning on TSN 1050 in Toronto, and he's an analyst on the NHL on TSN. Welcome to the H-Dog Pod, Carlo. Thanks for having me, buddy. No, that's, uh, I'm stoked to have you on. This, is, this uh, should be a, a lot of fun. Uh, really excited to, have, uh, to talk about your career, and I want to go back to when you were drafted, actually, by the Maple Leafs. 17th overall in 2001. Uh, how was the pressure to perform knowing you were the, the hometown player, first, uh, first round pick? Well, um, I didn't really uh, look at it as any pressure at all. I was more of a, a deer in the headlights kind of kid uh, coming into training camp as a first round pick as sort of a hometown hero as a young kid because I think it was the first time in, in the longest time since the Maple Leafs drafted a local boy with their first round pick. So uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, celebration for sure um, at the time. I don't think anything was expected of me in my first training camp, which is why I didn't feel much pressure. I was just more nervous not to piss any, but any of the older guys off. <laughs> but uh, for the most part, uh, I just went in there. Um, you know, I just I tried to play my best. I tried to learn as much as I could from the older guys, and especially guys like like Pat Quinn as the coach, and uh, just embrace the whole uh, opportunity of it uh, at training camp, at an NHL camp. Uh, playing in the NHL with NHL players and uh, just tried to soak it all in. And uh, with each day, I just started to gain more confidence and, um, you know, more, I felt better about myself and better about the environment that I was in and started to play better each and every day. And, um, you know, with, with more confidence comes more poise on the ice. And ultimately for me, um, I, I know the – the 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 sort of uh the conversation in the beginning was just to give me one game and then send me back to junior but i made that decision very difficult on them because i kept playing very well and practicing very hard and earning another chance ultimately to the point where uh, i survived the whole training camp and uh signed my first nhl contract at a training camp 
And how was, uh, did you ever have like a uh, welcome to the NHL moment when you played that first regular season game or? Um, not my first regular season game, but it was my second regular season game. I actually had to wait nine regular season games to play my first game oh, because as be good tough. as I played and as good as I played in training camp and as much as I probably deserved to play right away, um, you know, because I wasn't expected to make the team, there was no salary cap back then and there was no roster limit of carrying players. So I was one of nine defensemen to start the year in the team. And I think I was very grateful for it, but it also, you know, kind of upset me in a way, the fact that I lost all and any momentum that I had gained with my play and with my confidence to carry that over into the season. So it was more of just practicing, getting used to the NHL life, um, you know, learning how to take care of myself, uh, learning what the new daily rigors for me was going to be as a hockey player. But I was living at home. I mean, I was around my family the whole time. I was around my friends the whole time who were all in awe of me actually being a member of the Maple Leafs. And, you know, the curiosity was always there when I was going to play. And uh, ultimately, you know, the team struggled in the beginning um, to get points and, Felt like, you know, the time for me to play my first game was the ninth game of the season. It was at home. It was against the Florida Panthers, um, a team that actually I really became a fan of because I've loved their logo ever since oh, their existence. So good. And yeah, so, um, you know, the, 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 the crazy story about that, or at least the, the unbelievable memory that was created from that was um, during my pregame nap, uh, I got a call from Ty Domi asking me if I was playing the game and obviously with a lot of excitement I said yes and he goes all right man I'm so happy for you pumped for you here's what I want to do for you I'm going to give you the box my 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 suite at the game tonight and you can invite 20 family members to come to the game and I I was like I couldn't believe what I just heard because I don't know if anybody knows not only is it hard to get a ticket in Toronto but they're expensive too and as a young 19 year old I didn't really have the money for it so um, ultimately, the rush for me at that time was to call my family and, you know, let them know that, hey, you know, try to gather as many people as you can, come to the game. So I ended up uh, having uh, 20 family members enjoy that experience for me. I, had, I got an assist in my first game. Actually, people thought I scored. But my first welcome to the NHL moment was in the second game. Uh, we had lost my first game against Florida, but I played well and uh, deserved to play in the second game. Um, it was a tie game with seven seven minutes left. I believe seven minutes or four minutes left, one of the two. And I was on the ice, and I was trying to make a play offensively, which I probably should have just focused on making the safe play. And I, ultimately, I don't think it was my fault because I never really got a chance to go back and look at it. But because I took the chance to go play offense, they created a, a, a turnover, and Pavel Burry went down and scored oh. on our net. And ultimately, you know, it, it, it was kind of my fault, but I don't really know if it was my fault. Uh, but you can see a lot of anger in the guys. And I remember walking in the dressing room after the game, and I don't think he meant to say it or do it with me know, with knowing I was in the locker room. But I remember Alex McGillney walking in and throwing his equipment everywhere in the room saying, I can't believe he was on the ice. And it, it made me think that he was complaining that there was a young guy on the ice in a tie tie game, or sorry, in a tied game. So um, I felt bad. Uh, after that, I didn't play again uh, for the next nine games. Then I got sent to the World Juniors before I got sent back to junior uh, after that. But uh, I didn't play a game after that game, which is something that 
I wish would have ended differently, or at least I would have given been given another chance. But I knew as a young kid going into the Toronto Maple Leafs organization, I mean, I, I made the roster where the next oldest guy was 27 years old as a 19 year old. So wow, that's crazy. Um, I knew it was a tough fit, but I did what I could. I, I, you know, it helped me start the path of my NHL career. But uh, to this day, I always remember that New York Rangers game where we lost and Pavel Burry was the guy that ultimately ended up sealing my fate with the Maple Leafs. Well, I think Pavel Burry made, uh, <laughs> obviously had a whole career, a slew of uh, amazing goals and amazing plays. Uh, that's but it sure. still wasn't my fault. I had my guy. <laughs> what was it like playing with guys? You mentioned Ty Domi, uh, playing with guys like Domi and Tucker and, uh, and TSN's own uh, Jeff O'Neill. Uh, well, obviously Jeff was uh, a guy that I played with, in, you know, in my last year in Toronto. Um, but uh, prior to him, uh, you know, playing with the likes of, you know, uh, Matt Sundin, um, Ty Domi, uh, Darcy Tucker, Shane Corson, Brian McKay. These are all guys that growing up as a teenager, I idolized. I mean, these were the guys I was watching every time I was watching a Leaf game. And you never really think that that opportunity is going to, uh, present itself in real life and ultimately it did and now i'm starting to become friends with these guys i'm text messaging with these guys and it's like holy cow like this is real you know but um I- i've got to say like you know um i have so much respect for those guys because they could have easily just you know um phased me out or at least not paid attention to me because i was so much i had so much of an age gap between them but a lot of them went out of their way to make sure that I was part of the group. Uh, in particular, Matt Sundin, who was a big fan of mine and would always, you know, share words of encouragement and always try to push me to be better and stay confident and stay positive. And, you know, guys like Darcy Tucker and Shane Corson, you know, actually brought me in as like a little brother. Um, and obviously throughout my tenure there, um, I started to play with guys like Thomas Caberlet and, and Brian McCabe as my D partner. So I became really close with them. But, um, you know, you, you live and you learn and, you know, you, as I, as the years went on, those guys start to push their way out of Toronto and you start to make new friends there. And ultimately Jeff O'Neill, um, was a guy that, um, you know, broke Maple Leafs hearts and now I'm playing with him as a teammate, but (laughs) I'm so glad I got to, you know, create or at least have that opportunity to, um, you know, be a teammate of Jeff's and now work with him in, in post-career because not only has he helped me so much post-career with, um, you know, my the, the work we do at TSN, he's been an incredible friend and such a fun guy to call a friend because he keeps it real. I mean, you, you know, you know, Jeff O'Neill, he, mm-hmm. he can be bitter at times. He can be <laughs> brutally honest at times, but I think that's what's lovable about him. So uh, I'm so grateful for his friendship. Um, I love, you know, throwing jabs at him back and forth. And we have that little um agreement between each other where i know nothing he can say to me would hurt my feelings in the same likewise and you you develop that relationship because you know you know what it's like to play with each other you, you've seen each other in, in almost every way possible um sober <laughs> drunk whatever you want to call it <laughs> um but ultimately um you know fr- friends that i made in toronto i'm still friends with now in toronto and you know hope to be friends with those guys uh, for the rest of my career, rest of my life in the Toronto area. And, you know, there's so much the, that, that has come from, you know, those opportunities, like being an alumni now and, you know, uh, having a profile in the city, which has allowed me to continue a post-career. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, no, it's been, it's been going great. Uh, 
What was it like when you were uh, when you were traded with Alex Steen to St. Louis? Uh, it must have just been kind of weird, uh, a feeling uh, getting traded the first time. It was the only time in my career I've been traded, um, so it was really weird. I mean, I, I was cut earlier in my career, uh, my young career at uh, at um, a minor hockey level, which was a surprise to me too, and it was actually a life altering uh, and life changing decision for me because I almost quit hockey. Um, and luckily for me, I didn't, um, because I was allowed to, uh, live out a dream of being an NHL player, but, uh, being traded, man, um, you know, that was the turning point of my career. Um, you know, as much as I love my time in Toronto, I always wish that things would have been differently or things could have gone differently during my tenure there. Obviously as a young player, like you said earlier, um, I dealt with certain pressures, uh, but I also dealt with certain criticisms, um, you know, I've, I suffered some injuries and was never really able to get over that hump. Um, I knew I believed in myself. I, I had confidence in myself. I believed in my abilities, but it just felt like, you know, every time I, I suffered an injury, which is part of the game, um, you know, it was the cloud that I couldn't just remove from my head everywhere I go. That's all people wanted to talk to me about was my health and my injuries. And, um, it was a stigma that I wasn't really happy to have, but ultimately I had to battle through and um, you know, if I was going to move on and get a fresh slate, it was, it was going to happen somewhere else. Cause it was just as no matter what I did, how much I did, you know, in the season throughout the season, it was just something really, really hard to remove, um, you know, from, from me and, and the criticism of me. And so um, ultimately, you know, that comes with playing on losing teams, which is something that, Again, I wish I could have experienced playoff hockey in this city because oh. I, I, you know, as a player, you know, it's one, I mean, I'm sorry, sorry, as a fan, it's one thing because you're watching it on TV, but when you actually get to live it, I got to experience what playoff hockey was like and, and the adrenaline and the emotions that carry through you in those moments of playoff hockey where, um, you know, everything just raises, gets raised to another level. And, you know, you see the way this city um, you know, uh, sort of um, rallies around this team during that time of year. I never got to experience that, which is one of the biggest regrets of my time in Toronto. And that's probably why it led to certain things that happened with me. Because, I, you know, sometimes you could change the whole image of yourself with a good playoff run and some of the, you know, the real battle scars that you, you might incur uh, during those runs. And so that didn't happen. And it came to a point where, you know, the organization was moving on from, you know, the core guys and the older guys and the leaders, like we had just mentioned, like Max and Darcy and uh, the older crew there. And the turnover included, you know, some of the guys that were there in the past that didn't have success, including, you know, the likes of me and Alex. And that was uh, during, you know, a, a new tenure of Ron Wilson as a coach and Cliff Fletcher as an interim guy. And um, so you kind of saw the, you've kind of felt the writing was on the wall, but you never really wanted to believe it because there was so much to enjoy about being in Toronto. I mean, you know, you never had to, you never had to travel anywhere in the summer. You never had to worry about going somewhere to start the season. You're always around your friends and family, which is something that I loved and enjoyed and embraced. But there came a point where it was just too much, mm -hmm. you know, everywhere I went, it was all people wanted to talk about. And you just couldn't find that proper balance in your life of hockey and just enjoying your life. So I think I was ready for it, but I think the timing of when it happened was a shock to me because 
I just started to play well again. And, you know, you think that you want to be part of um, the, the, the solution moving forward instead of, you know, you don't want to be part of the problem that's being uh, pushed out. Well, ultimately, they decided that, um, you know, they were re- ready to move on. And I remember when I first got called into uh, Cliff Fletcher, Fletcher's office, it was with Alex Steen. And we were both looking at each other when we first got in there thinking, okay, something's up. And then Cliff Fletcher walks in and he says, um, we're here, you're, you guys are here today because uh, we traded you. Uh, so we want to thank you for everything that you've done and uh, wish you the, nothing but the best of luck. So, and, I, and then he stopped and me and Alex look at each other and we're like, okay, well, you just traded us. Where did you trade us? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. We traded you the St. Louis Blues. And they stopped again. And me and Alex look at each other like, uh, do you mind telling us the trade? Like, what, what, what did you guys get back in return? <laughs> yeah. And he goes, oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, we got back uh, Lee Stempniak. And when he says Lee Stempniak, you're expecting to hear more. Yeah, yeah, of so course. Then me, me and Alex both look at each other. We're like, and yeah, first <laughs> yeah, round pick else, maybe. Uh, or? Yeah, no, just just Lee Stepniak. And we're like, okay, something something's up here. There's nothing makes sense about this. But mm-hmm. you know, going leading up to that day, you start hearing and seeing your name being floated around in some of these you know rumor boards and you know people talking and stuff like that. So you're expecting something to happen. And you sort of have, uh, you know, a, a list of teams or cities that you might envision yourself playing in. And I can tell you one thing. St. Louis was never one of those teams that I even thought about um, was in the conversation. But ultimately, you know, as as I started to digest it, um, the, the reality of being on a team like that was so exciting because I immediately looked at the roster and I knew half of the guys on there, including my best in hockey, Brad Boyce, who was there. Mm-hmm. So um, it was a situation that was just perfect for me. I went in there. It was a, uh, I was allowed to, um, you know, step into an opportunity that would give me more ice time, more prominent role. Something I always wanted in Toronto, but just had a hard time finding. But ultimately, it gave me a new lease on life in the NHL, and it helped me extend my career. And you know, it allowed me to uh, experience what being a, 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 a really good NHL player was like on a really good team in a really good city and all the other caveats that come with it. So um, ultimately it sucked that I got traded from the lease, but you know, we see in, in hockey now that it's very rare for one player to play his whole career on one team and trades happen. And ultimately when something like that happens, you want it to work out in the best case scenario for you. And ultimately for me and Steen, it did. As I mentioned off the top, uh, you played 13 seasons in the NHL. So, how was the uh, transition to uh, post or after your career was over to uh, now being uh, on radio and TV? Uh, it's funny because I get asked that question all the time. And, you know, Not playing 14, 14 years in the NHL um, combined with two years in Europe, um, you know, my last. I would say my last five years in my career were the most difficult, but also the most refreshing because, um, you know, the, the more, the more you play in the league, the more you mature and the more you feel like, um, you can play the game at a more calm and poised level because you've learned so much and you understand what it takes. Um, and ultimately, you know, as you get older, the league's getting younger. So it's not a matter of training to get in shape. It's a matter of training to stay, you know, in tune with the way the game is going. That I, I always used to say that you know, in my 30s, I wasn't training to get stronger. I was training to stay younger because ultimately that's what was going to allow me to stay in the league if I was able to keep up. And 
Um, my body felt the best it ever felt throughout my whole career. And a lot of it was because of the different changes that I made with training. And I always said to myself, I was going to play as long as my body allowed me to play. I wasn't going to let somebody dictate whether or not um, I was good enough to play or not. So uh, there comes a point in time where, you know, the decision had to be made for me at least uh, to go play in Europe. And I'm lucky I did because during the lockout, I went to play at the Spangler Cup, which is something I'm so grateful I got a chance to do because it was an incredible experience, incredible tournament, obviously representing Canada. Um, there's never um, a moment that I would ever pass up to do that or any Canadian player should pass up to do that because it's just so special and it, you know, it allows you to add something more memorable to your resume. But for me, playing in that tournament actually gave me at least some a vision of what playing in Europe was going to be like. And ultimately, I always said before I retire, you know, when the day comes, I always want to finish my career in Europe. So luckily for me, I got a chance to do that um, in Mannheim, in Germany for two years. And it was an incredible experience. But once you start going over there, you start to realize that, you know, hockey, the door is going to start to close sometime soon. And you kind of wonder what you're going to do next because hockey's not going to be there for you and with you forever unless your name's Jaromir Yager and you want to play into your 50s <laughs> unreal yeah <laughs> so um I always thought that you know hockey was my life um I loved every bit of it and I started to do um you know some stuff away from it like coaching like training uh skill training and it, it, it gave me a vision and a perspective of okay you know this is something that you know, I can make a living it and, and, and do because I have the experience and, you know, I have the profile, you know, being an NHL player and going through all this myself, I'd be a good resource for young kids to help manage through their careers and help teach them things that I learned throughout mine. So that's something I always thought I was going to get into and not to say that I won't ever do it because it's still something that I enjoy doing, but I've also throughout my career loved watching sports, loved playing sports, loved talking sports. And I never once even thought that being a sports broadcaster would be something I would attach myself to. And you mentioned, uh, you know, Jeff O'Neill earlier and how close we've stayed, how close we've become as friends. I remember my second year coming back from Europe. I was just back maybe a day or two and I'm driving to go see my parents and I get a call from him and it's like hey man what's up and he goes ah oh, dude are you ready to retire yet he says to me <laughs> i'm like well that's a pretty trick question for the first thing you asked me that i'm back from europe i said why you ask he goes ah oh, man i'm just curious i know you're back and just seeing what's you know what you're thinking about doing because you know just to give you a little bit of what i do there's opportunity here if you're thinking about doing it. You know, this is this is what I'm supposed to do. This is how I enjoy it. He gave, sort of it broke everything down for me, and it it kind of you know it it kind of gave me um, you know the 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 I started to think about it a lot more, and I'm like, you know what? I don't have anything set in stone right now. I still have aspirations to play, but I don't have a contract to go back next year. So let me just start planting seeds. Let me just start, ex, you know, a, a, experimenting with what's out there and what's available for me now. So he had set up uh, a meeting with Jeff McDonald and Steph Apolito. I came in, I met with them. They told me, um, you know, what they liked about me from the things that I did in, in the past with, you know, my hits or in line in studio appearances and stuff. And, uh, they told me the, 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 the things that they're, that they're looking for at certain positions. And I said, you know what, 
let me give it a try because I love talking sports. Let me see if I can do it. And I can tell you one thing. The minute I stepped in and do it, yeah, there was nerves. And I think more of the nerves came from the fact that I was going on to a live mic that people were actually listening to. Mm -hmm. And I was so scared that I was going to bring my locker room (laughs) language on the air. You know, like every second word is F this, F that, F this. And it just becomes part of your normal routine. Sure. So um, then, you know, I started to do the homework, started to prepare. And I'm doing it while I'm watching sports. I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. Now I can watch sports and actually call it a job and get paid for it. It's pretty fun. This is too <laughs> this is too good to be true. So the longer I did it, the more I enjoyed it, the more I was looking forward to doing it and the more fun I was having. And I think when I when I ultimately decided to make the decision, you know, you do your pros and your cons. And literally the only con about the job was getting up at four thirty in the morning, which is something I never thought I could do. <laughs> That's why I'm going to sleep. I'm going to sleep at four thirty in the morning. Yeah. I, I was gonna mention well, to you, I don't want I don't listen to your show live because that's literally when I'm sleeping. I, I try well, to go to if basically uh, four in the morning is when I sleep. You you have no idea. Like I watching sports, I'm a nighthawk. I usually stay up to watch the last game on the board, right and right up until the last whistle. So I was a guy going to sleep at one, two o'clock in the morning on the normal anyways. So yeah. but Here's here's the, here's what I sort of broke down, you know, when I decided to take the job is for my whole career, at least the last eight years of my career, I played in seven cities in eight years and I did a lot of moving around and didn't really get to spend much time in Toronto. And uh, being a radio broadcaster for TSN just provided so many positives in the sense that it's a job where I can still stay involved in the game of hockey, just not playing the game, you know, still talking it, still you know, interacting with people in the game, like coaches and management and scouts and analysts and stuff like that, which is what I was really excited about because I love meeting new people and I love learning new things. Um, but it also allowed me to stay in Toronto and provided me an opportunity that one, if I was something that I was good at, could have created stability. And, you know, if it's something that I can see myself doing as a, as a post career, create longevity for me while I'm living at home. So, um, that's that's what really really excited me about the job and then you know i think the thing that i really enjoy too after doing it for almost three years now is hearing the feedback in the public when you know people are complimenting you on the job they're doing and how you know that they're they enjoy their mornings now because you know they they appreciate the conversations that i'm having or at least the energy that i'm um you know doing it with and stuff like that and the personality that they're hearing so it really makes me feel good that I at least I know that I'm doing a good enough job and I always want to continue to do more to enhance and create that listener engagement and that experience. So, um, you know, doing that and, you know, allowing myself to reconnect with the Maple Leafs alumni has allowed me to do so much more in this city than I ever imagined. And it's been a good, you know, post-career move for both me and my family that I'm to this day, I'm very grateful for because, you know, like I touched on earlier about what I wanted to do, the fear I always had was, okay, what am I going to do? When am I going to make the decision? And how quickly will something be available to me? Because that's what that that's some of the questions and some of the fears a lot of guys have. Be really tough, to, you know, yeah. when when their when their career starts to close. So, if, luckily for me, the stars aligned. Um, luckily for me, um, Jeff O'Neill is a big reason why that happened. Uh, his friendship which I stated means, you know, the world to me. 
um, and the friendships that you that you that you make throughout the game of hockey. I'm, I'm a big believer that you never burn any bridges, no matter how bad the situation is, because you know you never know when at some point in your life you're going to need you know somebody to go to bat for you or somebody to you know present an opportunity for you. And luckily for me. Uh, that job at TSN uh, was too good to be true and ultimately uh, is good for me to be true that uh, uh, I'm really grateful for. That's uh, that's great advice. A couple of quick things here before I let you go, uh, Carlo. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Take your time. Take your time. Well, these are uh, these are these are the hot hit, uh, hard hitting questions. I must say, uh, we talked about uh, before this podcast. I asked you if you watched The Bachelorette, and you said uh, <laughs> that you were two episodes behind. So my question to you is, why the hell are you two episodes behind? And uh, my comment is, shame on you. Well, I'm two episodes behind because there's been Tuesday night football the last two weeks, and obviously my priorities is to watch football um, over the Bachelorette. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I told you, like, I'm not a diehard when it comes to Bachelorette. I or, watch it when there's not really much on, but I love the drama behind it, <laughs> yeah. both the Bachelorette and the Bachelor. And then Bachelor it's in really, Paradise. really. Have you ever watched Bachelor in like, Paradise? Oh yeah, of oh, course. Bachelor God. Pad, Bachelor in Paradise. Yeah. I watch it all. I'm I, I, I like I like reality Crazy. TV. So um, same. You know, I like I like the drama that's created from it, even though I know most of it is scripted. But mm-hmm. um, not during a pandemic, there's not really much on right now, and <laughs> I'm true. thankful for football and especially the way football has been able to reschedule some of their games where they're giving you a, a taste of it every day of the week. Uh, I can't complain right now. Well, I urge people. I remember it was probably about ten years ago or so. I when I had my, I was living with a roommate, Brent, and he's like, "Hey, you got to watch a show." And I'm like, "No, I watched like the first five minutes, like of season one." And I love reality TV. I have a lot of reality shows I love, but I was uh, like, "No, no, this show's stupid. It's junk, whatever." And I'm like, "All right, if I'll shut you up, I'll watch five minutes. Just you know, I'm like fine." And I <laughs> urge anyone get over this whole like, oh, like of course it's basically mostly scripted. And of course, it's kind of dumb and it's not really yeah. real and. And you know, just embrace the ridiculousness and the and the ludicrousness. Good word uh, of the whole show. Like there, it's just like there's a reason you know? why some of the hated people early on stay on as long as they do because ratings, ratings, ratings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's such a fun show. And then normally yeah. pre-pandemic, you watch with some buddies and have some drinks and just make fun of the nonsense yeah. going on. I, I absolutely love that. Uh, yeah. Well, it's it's pretty hard to. to understand how you can fall in love and marry somebody within two months too so <laughs> yeah claire and dale three episodes <laughs> in yeah we're, we're gonna be engaged okay claire that's yeah not gonna claire work. and dale two weeks and they're engaged oh, and married and it's they're the they're the happiest people in the world because they found each other boy i don't know maybe it'll work we'll, we'll see but uh yeah, i also saw a twitter poll that you threw out uh, uh about tomato sauce on pizza and i saw the results were 50 50 on that whether, really? Uh, it, Is that what it ended up as? Yeah, 50-50. I saw that. I was like, uh, so I'm assuming you're saying pizza must have tomato sauce on there or are you uh, no tomato sauce? Well, it was, it was a debate on our show in the morning with Landsberg um, because, you know, I, I'm Italian, right? You, you can make white pizza and still make it taste good. And he always said or he was saying that, you know, I, sometimes I just don't like the sauce on pizza, you know, because if you get the wrong sauce, it just ruins the whole pizza. Like, can you really have pizza without any sauce? And I'm like, yeah, of course you can. I mean, Italians make it all the time. And he's like, no, no, you can't. Like, you can't eat pizza without sauce. So we got into this big debate and he, we put the poll question out there. And, and surprisingly, I, I'm, I'm actually, the fact that you said it's 50 50 right now, yeah. or and it finished 50 50, is even more surprising because, um, 
I mean, really, you can make a pizza any way you want. It's all the toppings you put on it that really makes a taste of it because you're really just you're really just baking dough is what you're really doing, <laughs> right? And me being Italian, I mean, my grandmother makes the best white pizza you could ever eat. It's you know, it they push she slices white potatoes, she puts them on with some rosemary, some some garlic, and some salt and pepper. And she bakes it, and it's like to die for. And so, I mean, I yeah, I could eat anything really if you ask me. But uh, yeah, so that that's where that debate came from. <laughs> but you remember that debate me and you had? I think it was two years ago, or at least the Jane Dan podcast was trying to um, have a contest with you with about Big Macs. <laughs> what was what was yeah. what was that contest that they were having? Well, How many Big Macs can you eat in an hour? Well, the genesis of that was that uh, years ago, probably like oh man, it must be like a ten years ago or something like that. Uh, it was like a late Sunday night, and there was nothing going on, and it was like you know what? Ah, oh, I wonder how many bacon ears I could eat. <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, I'm not going to buy like whatever, $35, $40 worth of Baconators, like five Baconators. That's what they said. But they said, we'll sponsor you for those five Baconators. But the deal is you have to finish all of them. And oh, jeez. I, I got through three and three quarters and, uh, and, and no problem at all. But then I, uh, unfortunately, I drank two Cokes, which is what completely oh, screwed me. Yes. And I wasn't able to finish. It looked so vile to finish the other one. So I guess, yeah, flash forward a number of years, I guess, Jane, now that the the sponsor for them is McDonald's, it was like, oh, I wonder how many Big Macs he could smash. But five would, I think, pretty (laughs) simple five. Well, I shouldn't say simple. The first three would be simple. Then after that, it'd be a bit of a struggle. But uh, yeah, those bacon airs, man, like I said, I got through three and three quarters. It was no problem. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, no. Yeah, no, and, no, and then the no. boys, the boys on first up were challenging me, how many Big Macs can you eat in an hour? And I'm like, I don't want to do that to myself, man. <laughs> I love eating Big Macs. I don't want to ruin the taste of right. it. Right. Yeah. You know, like I could easily dust two or three in in one in one uh, sitting. But no problem. You know, I don't want to be one of those pigs where I'm just mowing down Big Macs to try to win a contest. The next thing you know, I'm turned off of Big Macs because I don't want that. I enjoy them. One of my favorite things to do uh, after a night of having a few drinks is uh, if I do happen to uh, go to McDonald's is oh, I'll only get like the junior chickens or the cheeseburgers. There's not as many calories in that. But then, of course, I'll smash a bunch of them. And it's like, well, when you <laughs> add up the calories, it it's the same amount or if not more, you know. I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah it's uh, McDonald's so, is so damn good. Yeah. Uh, it guess, is, man. <laughs> it's the best. It is. I'll get you out of here on this question. Uh, I saw also on uh, your social media that it caused a, caught a bit of a stir uh, a few months ago, and uh, obviously we both love golf. Uh, while you were golfing, you were also out catching fish. Uh, oh, what's yeah, that all about, time. and uh, how is uh, your pace of play when you do that? <laughs> you know what? It's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, my old trainer, I think it was back in 2012, uh, actually during the lockout, um, we were golfing late into the summer and he introduced me to this new thing. I've always been a fisherman. I've loved fishing. I just never got a chance to do enough of it. And so he was a big, big fisherman and we went golfing one time. He pulls out his fishing rod and he's like, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. We're playing golf. And he's like, dude, are you serious? This is the best fishing to ever do. These ponds are stocked. Really? I'm like, no way. These ponds can't be stocked. And I'm not even kidding. Every pond we drove by while playing golf, he was ripping out fish. I'm like, uh, are you waiting for unreal. people when you're when you're fishing, or is this no, like a, a no, slow no. pace of so, play for them, or what's the? So basically, the way the way I do it and the way he did it was, you know, you're there to play golf, right? 
and obviously I like, I, I, I'm not a slow golfer. I hate playing slow. I hate playing when people are slow in front of me. Mm. So I will never do it if I was holding up the pace of play. Makes sense. But you know, sometimes when you go on courses, you're waiting 10 minutes before each shot. Right. And if I'm staring at a pond that's right next to me (laughs) and I have no rod and I'm waiting for my shot, well that 10 minutes I can pull out four or five fish. There's fish in there. So that's ultimately what I started doing. I started carrying a rod in my bag. And in the beginning, when I started doing this, I would always walk the courses so that if I saw a pond, I would walk to my ball, just walking down the pond, throwing my line in and out. And if I catch something, take it off the line, throw it back. And then when it was my turn to hit the ball, I'd stack the rod away and, you know, walk up to my ball to hit the next shot. And you'd snipe it to like five feet, I hope. Well, hopefully I, I did. Yeah. I mean, that, that was definitely the goal, but I tell you, man, like to knock, to kill two birds with one stone, like you can golf and fish and do it within four hours. Like I, as much as I love fishing, I don't really get excited about sitting on a boat for six hours and, you know, on a day and, and walking home or going home with one or two fish. Like I, I just, I want that quick action. Like if it's there, hit it, reel it, bring it in, put it back in. And then you move on. Like you get your you get your your fulfillment and put in your bag and, and you walk over the next hole. So that's something that um, I actually caught a lot of people by surprise because I started to take up golf a lot more this year. Because in the past, I'd always I mean I never really had time in the summer times. I'd be I'd average two or three rounds a summer. Well, now I was doing two or three rounds a week and playing a lot more and, and i'm like i actually i started a thing because as as i was posting pictures of me doing it people were is as just in as in awe as you were seeing me do it and next <laughs> thing you know i'm getting people tweet me pictures of them golfing and pulling out fish That's and so say hey look funny. at this and i'm like <laughs> holy cow i've started a thing so but uh yeah i mean obviously when i do it um i don't do it like if somebody invites me to a really nice course, um, you know, I'm not going to embarrass them by pulling by me pulling on my round. Unless they want me to, I'll do it. But I, I'm very, I'm still like very uh, respectful, you know, knowing when and where to do it. Mm-hmm. But I also respect the rules of the game where I'm not holding up the people behind me. It's actually funny. I've never really had anybody yell at me or call <laughs> me out when they when they caught me do it. They've actually like they're probably just like, oh, that's me. awesome. <laughs> they probably praise me because they're yeah. they're just or no actually they not probably they actually praise me because they've never seen anybody do it either and they're like <laughs> that's no sweet. way this guy's catching fish <laughs> at the pond while he's golfing so yeah. something I love to do something that's a lot of fun when you find a good pond like there was a couple of ponds that I fished this summer where b- between between my 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 shot and my next shot. I pulled out seven or eight fish before I got to hit, hit my shot again. So yeah. Wow. And you know, those, those are fun where every cast you're pulling something out. Right. I mean, if you, if you catch the right pond, think about it. If these ponds are stocked and nobody fishes them, what do you think fish are going to do when they see something in the water? <laughs> That's true. They're going to go nuts. That's a good point. Right? Good point. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> that should be your next venture is to uh, buy a golf course and then also bake into the tea time, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever, 20 minutes between tea times. Just, you know, oh, five yeah. minutes for everybody to fish all the time, you know, exactly. to be able to kill, so like you said, I, kill two birds with one stone. I actually joined Clublink this year, and uh, my home course is Rattlesnake. And they have uh, they have one pond there that's stocked, uh, but they have two 18s. But they have like four or five really big ponds at that course. And 
all year I was all over the club manager. I'm like, next year you got to stock these ponds. I don't care what it costs. Do it. Trust me. You'll you, the the the, the, point. the golfers would love it because the thing that I would like to do in the future is you know run a golf tournament where it's you know fish and skins, right? Where you know you're you're you've, you've got a if if you see a pond in a hole and you pull out a fish, it counts as a score. <laughs> That's you know, awesome. like it's uh, yeah. There's so many fun things you can do with it. Uh, when it comes to tournaments and events and stuff like that, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> You've created uh, your own revolution. That's incredible. Uh, yeah, uh, that'd be uh, so much fun. I, honestly, if, if I saw somebody do that, I'd be like, "Damn, I'm impressed. That's pretty sweet." <laughs> no question about. It. Well, yeah. uh, <laughs> thank you so it's much. It's funny now, now. Now when I'm at golf courses and I either grab a bite to eat before or after, and people recognize me, they're like, "So, did you catch any fish today?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's amazing. Yeah, uh, people are catching on. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you, Carlos, so much for uh, this uh, discussion. It's been a, a, a blast, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. My pleasure. Good luck with everything, and Merry Christmas. You too. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye. 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 Well, that was such an amazing interview. I could have talked to Carlos for hours. Brag. Loved hearing about his time in the NHL, ribbing him about not watching The Bachelorette, and then discussing hot button issues like tomato sauce on pizza, and then him fishing while golfing. Is something I've never heard of, but I think it's pretty good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. You can catch First Up with Landsberg and Koliakovo on TSN 1050 in Toronto, and their podcast has the same name. He's also on Twitter, at Carlo Koliakovo. That's Carlo Cola, I-A, Kovo, C-O-V-O. Thank you for listening to episode 47 of the H-Dog Pod. Also, by the way, Banquet Cheddar Pizza at Pizza Nova is to die for. Oh, my God, it is so unbelievably good holy man this has been the h-dog pod with host michael the hound dog harrison mm-bang. 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 Mm-bang.